Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Pascal Stroik, drilled pass of the podcast, eye-watering, lasered and causing a response from Leeds fans. And I'm joined by the Jamie Shackleton stroked finisher of the podcast, Tom Woodhead, inch perfect, delicious and sending the crowd into raptures. And finally... The boss PR stunt of the podcast, completely ridiculous, badly thought through, and resulting in a police call out. It's only Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm much like Liam Cooper, um, unable to find the right words for how I'm feeling, yet simultaneously able to pick exactly the right one, which is euphoric, absolutely euphoric. It's amazing. <laughs> hey, Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, yeah. I've, I feel like I've been through the, the kind of gamut of emotions. You, you, after a while, you get... You get euphoria overload, and and you don't know. There have been periods where I've been like, uh, "How come I'm not just happy all the time?" But um, <laughs> it's uh, you have to get used to the fact that that's not how life works. But apart from that, it's it's obviously been incredible, hasn't it? Mm. It has. Apart from last night when my uh, my dog wouldn't go out for his shit because of the fireworks. I only live half a mile from the ground, so that was the one, the one minor dampener on the evening for me uh, <laughs> that I had to get up very early with the dog for his shit this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we'll say about that. <laughs> It's been um, one of those weird situations where sort of ev- the, the the roller coaster of emotion, as they call it, has 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 been a very long one and has had many many ups and downs to coin a phrase. Um, because we obviously we had the Thursday game, which was awful, and then the Friday euphoria of of, of promotion, and then champions, and then beating Derby, and then obviously the 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 uh, trophy lift yesterday it just felt it's just felt like I don't know it's it's been hard to I'm I'm, I'm exhausted now guys basically yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. me too I'm absolutely, absolutely ready yeah. for a nice long break from football and uh, I think this this last um, few games of, of post lockdown football is because it's been so um, compacted it's just been really really hard work to get through with, without really feeling like it at the time but now looking back at it it's yeah I'm, I'm quite ready for a long sleep right let's talk about Charlton then um 
it was a weird game, wasn't it? Just because how weird to sort of watch a game which didn't matter, but also as a result was maybe a little bit more interesting than it it could have been simply because it's uh, not often that we get the chance to see this team um, sort of blow other teams away in the way that they did um, yesterday. Um, We had a question from Jeff McConnell who said, we scored 7-2 and arguably helped by teams not parking the bus. Was there a big difference in average positions of opposition versus Derby and Charlton or was the pressure just off? Uh, and I guess the, the yeah the, we've we've talked a lot on on this channel about how Leeds struggle to break down teams in in deep line defences, um, but yeah yesterday versus Charlton it really didn't really didn't seem to make much of a difference. So um, do you think that what the pressure off has changed the way that we play, Darren? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a massive snooker fan, and I've been to see Ronnie O'Sullivan play in exhibitions on numerous occasions. And and when he plays in an exhibition, he plays with just so much more freedom, just absolutely blows away his opponent. And that was much the same last night. I thought. Um, I thought there were a couple of things which really helped us in the last two games. Though first one in the derby game, they just kind of really didn't bother trying to press us or put us under any kind of pressure, and there there was no intensity to their play. So that really helped us. And I actually thought that Charlton's shape in the first 20 minutes, particularly yesterday, really helped us, which was, you know, they played in a pretty rigid 5-3-2 and tried to hold the centre of the pitch, which meant that we were able to kind of pick our way around behind and in front of them and to the side of them without any kind of real pressure on our possession, which which made us look brilliant. And we were fantastic last night, but I actually thought Charlton really, really helped us, especially in that first 20, and we, we managed to settle early and... And then it was just exhibition stuff after that. Yeah, it, f- it feels a little bit like um, uh, Luton played that back five against us and had, you know, a, a good result with it, didn't they? And it feels like a couple of teams have tried that since, like trying to copy a kind of blueprint. But we also seem to have maybe made some adjustments to our own style, especially last night with Dallas playing in yet another position that I don't think we've quite seen him exactly in before, like um, almost as a sort of second um, right winger slash right wi- midfielder, um, and and that seemed to really confuse them. Uh, having Alioski over on the left and even more players on the right than usual. I think Pablo determined to just have fun helps too, um, rather than feeling yeah. pressure because he's just m- much more able to to do Pablo things in that sort of situation. Mm. Um, so which made it a joy to watch. I think it's interesting bringing up the, the Luton situation, though, because in the Luton, I mean, in the game yesterday, you've got you've got Ben White scoring a volley from the edge of the box with eleven <laughs> players, you know, eleven players in the box. I mean, there's there's breaking down defenses, and then there's just clonking one in from 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 miles out. And um, that with the Luton game, I think we were just we did create enough chances to actually score. We, they, they those chances just didn't fall. Yeah, and uh, you know, with 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 Charlton, it was just the other way around. That chance fell, and he got it, and then we we romped home. Um, so uh, I think this is one reason why we do talk about XG because it does give you a sense of and game state as well because it does give you a sense that in both of those games, Leeds have created chan- more chances than the opposition. In one of them, we've won it four nil. Uh, and the other, the other, we drew one all, and it, that's for me what, what, it, why, why it's so interesting to look at those under, underlying numbers because you know, I say it all the time, football is stochastic. You know, the 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 luck it plays such a large role. It's such a low scoring game that the luck plays a large role. And yeah. um, yesterday the luck was with us, and I, I do think that we do play 
we played really well yesterday in terms of the lack of pressure. You know, you've mentioned Pablo and Pablo is just, um, like you say, he's a completely different beast when he's not carrying the team. Um, he can yeah. carry the team in a whole new way where it doesn't feel like it, he does have the, the burden of them on his back. So, um, Absolutely. yeah, I, th- I thought it was, um, I thought it was, uh, quite, it was quite nice to watch, to watch those play. And I think, um, this was typified by the, that goal, um, that we wanted to talk about actually the the Jamie Shackleton goal, uh, which was uh, which was created by Pascal Stroke and uh, set up by Ian Pervader. So the three Leeds youngsters on the pitch just combining for a, a lovely a lovely goal. And I think you know that was sort of has, has sort of typified the last few games. Uh, we've just excitement about the the the, the three players there and. Um, it, yeah, the 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 way that strokes strokes come out of nowhere, um, and Shackleton has got two goals in two games, uh, and Pervader's come on and looked really really dangerous in that position. So, uh, yeah, Tom, talk us through through that goal. I'm, I'm sure you'll have the, the the poetry to be able to describe it better than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it felt like a goal from the future, didn't it? Like you half expected to see Doc Brown staggering out of the DeLorean <laughs> and saying, "Oh." I found it! And, and, you know, Jamie Shackleton does bear a passing resemblance to a young Michael J. Fox as well. So, um, But yeah, it was just nice to... Um, it feels like there's almost a threshold you have to pass as a youngster to be considered a proper first-team member in Bielsa's squad. And it feels like, symbolically at least, Stroik and Pervader have passed that threshold now. I think Shackleton yeah. was already over it, but... Um, they, they 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 feel less like under twenty threes members and more like fully fledged members of the squad after the last couple of games. That pass was something else, wasn't it? Kind of driven, beautiful flight, beautiful trajectory, perfectly into Pervader's uh, run. It just doesn't get any better as a, as, a, as a pass than that. It just just stunning. I think Pervader's role in that can't be understated as well he was Mm. really really calm and played exactly the right pass and there have been lots of occasions this season where players haven't played played the right pass or Mm. you know have slightly over or under hit it in that situation he he just looked like he didn't have a care in the world he also only took one touch and then laid it off which sometimes Mm. I feel like we don't do enough yeah Um, yeah which makes a big difference because then Shaq's like straight through on goal and it just makes the chance so much more easy are we looking at Jack Harrison there particularly, John? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could I could list you off a litany of different names yeah, at this yeah, point yeah, if course, you really want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do remember in one of the um, earlier post-lockdown games, uh, Pervader <clears throat> came on for the last 10 minutes or so and Cooper was on at him. One touch, then pass it. One touch, then yeah, pass yeah. it. It really seems to be something they've been working on with him. So mm. it's nice to see him put it into action, you know, with such a, definitive effect I think if you're a good dribbler of the ball as well it, it, it just sort of adds another element to your game because if they know mm. that you can just lay the ball off quickly as well it just it leaves the, the yeah. fullbacks and centre-backs and, and midfielders just in a little bit uh, of uh, that gives them a little bit of hesitancy as to what you're going to do if you're a player who becomes too predictable um, and I think this is arguably what was the problem with Harrison last season was that he was just too easy to read and I think that what they've tried to work yeah. on with him in the course of the last season is just maybe doing things slightly differently not being quite so easy to read um so yeah i think i think it's it's all good signs um but we we've got a chance to see pascal stroke again and uh, uh, it was i think it was quite interesting to to see him with his progressive passive passing i think it was yeah it was it was a bit hit and miss yesterday i thought maybe um a few misplaced passes here and there but um i think movement wise there's there's a lot of similarities between uh stroke and um 
Phillips. And I wonder, yeah. I mean, I, I suspect that's simply just a byproduct of the system. But um, how are we feeling about Stroke now as a, as a, as a prospect for, for next season? I'm feeling confident that he's someone that can really grow into that position, and obviously, as well as as well as kind of you know really developing in in, in the Calvin role, obviously he's got that kind of multifunctionality that Bielsa really likes in players. Whereby if if he does need to drop into the into the backline, that he can he can probably do that with with a lot of comfort. So I'm, I I feel really really good about him. I, I've really enjoyed watching him play. Um, I th- I thought his his positioning, as you said last night. Uh, John, both in in attack and and defensively, were both superb. Um, very very comfortable on the ball. Yeah, maybe a few mispl- misplaced passes, but but nothing to kind of worry about. I didn't think so. I, mm. I thought it was, it, was, it was very very good. Emilio Sanjuezo asked, "Could Stroke be our Javi Martinez?" Um, so it's good to see the fan base are, are not getting completely carried away <laughs> with this. <laughs> <laughs> as as far as I'm aware, it was the other way around with Martinez, wasn't it? He was moved from midfield back into defence rather than the other way around. Yeah, I think so. I can never remember because then he, he went the other way at Bayern. Yeah, yeah. Did he not? <laughs> I guess it's similar to Phillips in that he, you know, he, he hasn't really played centre-back this season, but he did last season. So it's a sort of similar sort of thing, isn't it? Apart from Phillips was pretty shonky as a centre-back in my memory, but let's not go there. I don't want to annoy the fan base any more than we need to. Um, Jamie Shackleton, um, my good friend Callum Archibald says, where do you see his position long-term? Bags of energy and two good finishes show he's got promise, but I'm starting to see him as more uh, as a more attacking or wide player, particularly due to his size and stamina. Also, we are going up AFC and lol at Forest, <laughs> which we should probably <laughs> talk about at some point. Um, yeah, thoughts on, thoughts on Jamie Shack as a, as a more attacking player? I like him um, as the more attacking of the eights. I don't, mm, yeah. I don't really see him as a wide player because... In in when you play that eight role, you go wide anyway. Clicks constantly found like out wide, and that's part of the system. So I think the fact that Shackleton has played right back, where you're wide a lot of the time, makes him look natural in those areas. But I don't really see him as a winger because although he's quick, I don't. It's mostly about reaching his top speed incredibly quickly, rather than him being rather than that top speed actually being incredibly quick with Shackleton. I think it's its acceleration that that causes problems for defenses and and the fact that he is willing to run with the ball as well. He always looks like he wants to run with the ball, but thats I don't think that's quite the same as being an incredibly tricky player like Perveda seems to be, who can beat a man uh, just through technical skill. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I think when we did see Jamie Shackleton playing in central midfield with Click, then he did sort of play the more attacking role of the two. So I think that probably suggests um, that, that we will see him as, as the more attacking eight when we do see him. Yeah, totally agreed. Right, we need to talk about Bielsa really, um, because we don't actually talk about him as an individual that much uh, on this podcast, weirdly, although everything sort of is indirectly about him. Um, we had a question from Callum, tongue-in-cheek of course, but um, I think actually it does it, it does uh, set us off on a nice discussion, because he says, where do we put the statue of him? Um Marcelo Bielsa is has been remarkable um, at, at this club. I don't think. I mean, he's come in and from the start been an incredible both coach but also tactician. Um, he's turned a squad around. We've said this enough times that finished whatever fifteenth, thirteenth the season before and and got them title challenges for two seasons in a row um, and has got them promoted to the to the Champions League. Um, just where, just how does um, Bielsa fit into the history of Leeds United now? Is it is he now one of those high points where we go, you know, sort of 
uh, Revy, um, um, Wilkinson, uh, I guess, O'Leary. No, 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 no. So it's literally just, it's literally just Revy, Revy, Wilkinson, Bielsa. And Bielsa, yeah. The third moment of Leeds United's history. Absolutely. for Yeah, for me, I mean, put simply, I, I, I think he he is the greatest coach I've ever seen of a, of a, of a, of a team at Leeds United. I think he his, he's absolutely transformed the club uh, in, in terms of our, our footballing output. I think he's he's kind of contributed to a, a better culture at the club, both in terms of respect for the work that we do and in terms of respect for the, for the, the people that work at the club. Um, I think, yeah, that there should be a statue of him in time. There shouldn't be a statue of him before there's one of Howard Wilkinson, in my view. But but I think he's massively, massively kind of transformed um, both the club and my feelings about the club. Um, I, I'm yeah, I, I I haven't haven't really got sufficient words to describe how I feel about what he's done for the for the team. It says a lot about Bielsa that he's managed to um, he's managed to get. He's managed to garner the adulation of hundreds of thousands of people from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, all social backgrounds, and they're all enthralled to this socially awkward um, <laughs> intellectual, basically. Like, and and when you look at a football crowd, you don't imagine them adoring a man like Marcelo Bielsa, mm. but they do because he is Marcelo Bielsa, and because of the for- the sheer force of not just his personality, which is a force in, in and of itself, but the sheer commitment that, um, to the idea and the sheer commitment beyond, I think, what any normal person would be willing to put in, in terms of, in terms of both emotional commitment, intellectual commitment, and just commitment to his own ideas. And the fact that yeah, the f- sorry, I'm losing losing my train of thought now. Getting too emotional, but I just I I just absolutely love the man, and I think everyone and all the different types of Leeds United fans, of which there are many, they all love him as well. And it's only Revy and Wilkinson that you could say that about. Hmm. Absolutely, uh, how how you get to, um, such a group of disparate players to to commit to such to two years of of absolute collective commitment and endeavor is absolutely beyond me you know I kind of tend to not think particularly well about about um about footballers um and and the money in the game and all that bollocks but but the the way he's managed to kind of make them go at the challenge with such a dedicated ethic um is 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 one of his greatest achievements I think while barely talking to them while barely talking to them yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's remarkable I think that if you then apply that lens to the whole of his career everywhere he's gone that that's been it's pretty much i'm sure there's exceptions i'm not sure about his time at lille but he's loved in marseille he's loved in um, bilbao he's loved in yeah. rosario he's mm-hmm. loved in chile like everywhere he goes he has that same sort of effective and emotional response and um yeah it, it is remarkable and uh, as, as you're saying tom there that you know this guy is essentially like a neuro atypical individual we don't get those in football football is all about like alpha males and and yeah. brash lad culture a lot of the time uh, and yet he sort of comes in as a counterculture and cuts through all of that and it's it's remarkable the the result um we had a we had a comment from Tommy as well. He was talking. He did make a joke about how um, 
it seems as though uh, Marcelo Bielsa uh, confected that that Barnsley result yesterday by sending <laughs> by sending uh, Pontus <laughs> to Brentford and Clark Adore to Barnsley. Um, uh, but he did say it does make me think about how much of Bielsa's work we actually see. For example, if Derby never caught the employee spying, we may have never known about it. He's probably up to all kinds of stuff, and the football matches at the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but yeah, it, it is again for for a channel like this, it's 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 great to have a manager like Marcelo Bielsa because there is a method, and that's essentially all that we spend our time trying to do is sort of look at the method askance as as as, as an audience, um, as a group of admirers, and try and work out what it is sort of back engineer it somewhat so we look at the tactics we look at the stats we try and work out what it is that he's doing firsthand on the training ground to to try and um enlighten the the Leeds fans about what it is and it's been a it's been a thoroughly enjoyable experience for for us to be able to to be able to try and uh, unpick the threads a little bit absolutely and there was that there was a there was that comment wasn't there where Bamford said uh, to to somebody I can't remember who, but he said you've got no idea what this guy is like, and I think that speaks to, to speaks to what Tommy was saying really. And also, if you look at the the uh, Calvin Phillips interview in the Athletic yesterday, you'll see that what what he gets footballers thinking about is football, and he gets them analysing their own game in a way that I don't think was particularly the case before. And I think that's that's a really commendable thing too. Do you mean to say that Paul Heckingbottom is not the footballing brain that we had him down to be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite know what to say to that. Sometimes no response is needed, don't <laughs> Quite, quite, quite. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Let's talk a little bit about the tactics over the course of the season. We've had a few questions about um, uh, about the season as a whole, really, so it, it'll be quite fun to talk about those. Uh, Jonathan Bagley said, it feels like this season has had a natural ebb and flow to it. We overlaided the left early on, then switched to the right. Did the stats back this up? A deliberate switch from Harrison involvement to Costa. Um, yeah, we've had a bit of dis- debate about this question in, in, um, in the group chat. And... Um, Josh Hobbs um, of this parish was 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 wanted to be very clear that we've not really uh, overloaded left at all this season, and I agree with him. We've the the, yeah. the tactical approach has been overload on the right, um, and then switch to the left. Um, but I think what Jonathan is is asking is important because I think the the question is why does it feel as though we are more likely to be direct and on the right hand side than we were. Um, in previous seasons perhaps Uh, and it does have something to do with Costa I think because we've got to remember that last season we had Harrison and 
uh, Hernandez uh, as our wide players, and Hernandez is playing as a, 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 a as a, I don't know what people call it these days, some kind of like half seven or something like that, where he was he was not getting uh, as far down the line. He was sitting in the half space um, and was um, dropping a little bit deeper, perhaps. Um, but so I've done a little bit of digging with with our t- tool, the tools available to us at 23. I can I basically split the season in half just to see. I thought that was probably the the fairest way of getting a decent decently comparable sample size between the first half of the season and the second half of the season to see if anything really changed. Um, you'll be not I guess unsurprised to know that in the flank attacks graphics and for our patrons uh, our patrons sorry I'll put this up on our Patreon page so you can go and have a look at this afterwards but nothing really changed between the first half of the season and the second half of the season in terms of uh, our attacks so um, in the first half of the season 43% of our uh, of attacking went down the right flank and then in the second half of the season it was 44% of, of our attack uh, on the left 34% went down that way and then 35% um, in the in the second half and then yeah just the, that leaves the 20, 23 percent and 21 percent respectively in the middle so in terms of an attacking profile the the actual tactical um, angle which is which is to spend a lot of time building up down the the right and then maybe use the switch as a, as a potential outlet that hasn't changed at all this season but I did have a look at the average positions because I did get the sense that something had changed between the first half of the season and the second half of the season and again we'll throw these up on the patreon uh, page after the podcast but um, quite a remarkable difference in in the what the first half of the season average position map looks like and the second half of the season average position map and i think i think that we have gone a little bit more um central um in many respects um the left back position has essentially become a weird inverted wing back as far as i can tell and the right back has pushed out a little bit further wide and i think again that's to do with costa's positioning and the way that we've developed the the team to accommodate costa and i think this is the point and and this is why i think jonathan's onto something because i think the way that we've used costa has changed through the course of the season and we now use him as much more of a uh, a classic uh, winger than than we did at first. I think we tried to fit him into that Hernandez role at first, um, but we are now happy to use him as as more of a sort of, uh, I guess, direct player like we use Harrison. Um, but yeah, Darren, what's your what's your thought on that? I, I was going to say exactly that about the left back. That the, the main position, real the main difference, really in in the two diagrams is is the positioning of the left back. Um, other other things are broadly similar, I think, and that's partly to do with what Tom touched on at the start, very start of this, which is about. Dallas's position last night I think that's something which we've kind of uh, seen the way you know that he kind of has nominally nominally set up as a left back but as you say he's played much more as a, as a mid in the midfield which I know that we haven't kind of liked it when Dallas has started in the midfield position but but he feels like he's kind of providing a really important backup to both the attack and defense when he sits in in that kind of middle position. I think you're absolutely right about Costa. We've we've got him in behind the fullbacks far far more often during the uh, the second half of the season too. That was all I was going to say. Yeah, so I would I would describe him as playing as an inverted fullback, which is something that we yeah. saw Pep Guardiola do in the Premier League when he first arrived. And I think the, the the thinking behind it is that because teams are defensive against Leeds, that you're almost wasting um, a back four. You've got too many players in defensive positions, and so you what you yeah. do is you you 
push your one of your fullbacks in this case Dallas into the midfield area to help with build up and to help with breakdown in transition um, and you're you're just utilizing one of your players a lot more usefully than you would have otherwise um, and yeah I think the reason why it's taken all season to do that perhaps is is either on the one hand I think um, Bielsa just feeling as though the the team are up to playing that way because it's obviously not an easy way of playing um, but I, I think that they're, they're also uh, just might be an element that we've become more dominant through the course of the year as well, and so that's a response to to us not really having that that angle usually. Yeah, but if you look at the season, the the, the average position map for the first half of the season, John, where where Dallas played in in the right back role, he did the same, but from right back, and the, yeah, and the width true. was from the left. So I, I think I think it's probably specifically an inst- it's it's personnel dependent that and I think that's yeah. specifically when when Dallas plays in a fullback position that's what he's been instructed mm-hmm. to do but him only. Mm-hmm. I do I do somewhat disagree with that uh, regarding Dallas and Ailing at, uh, at right backs. Obviously, we started the season with Dallas at right back and he was coming inside sometimes, but it felt more predictable and less dangerous than when Ailing Ailing. Is obviously, as you can see on the uh, position map, he, he stretches a little bit wider than Dallas, but I also think he comes inside. And when he comes inside, he's more dangerous than Dallas is from, from, right, from right back. Um, and I think that adds a new facet to our game that has come in more as the season has gone on, that both fullbacks are willing to come in at times and play as auxiliary midfielders, which allows other players to uh, go forward, but without uh, sacrificing too much defensively because we've got that... Um, that you know that that sort of a wall in midfield. But do you not feel as though that the reason why Dallas is brought across now is so that he can sort of fill in for when Ailing goes forward? Because I I think of yeah, Ailing yeah, as being right, like a sort of yeah. classic fullback who can get really get really long. He's almost playing as a wing back, and then because you've got Dallas in in that midfield area, then he can slip into the right back position and help defend. Which is um, yeah, I think yeah. I, I guess just just in general, I feel like Ailing's position in the team is is one of the most interesting, um, and there's a lot to analyze about it. If you know, if if you really went down into it, because sometimes he's playing as a centre back, sometimes he's playing as a as a right winger, sometimes he's playing in midfield. So I think it's not quite as simple as him being going you know outside and high all the time. Although that they tend to be the really eye catching moments. I think his role in build up where he comes narrow is often quite important. A couple of other questions, which I think might be interesting to go to. We're, obviously, we're going to we're going to end up talking about the full season in the next couple of weeks more. So, just as a as a bit of a taste of that, I'm away on holiday as of tomorrow uh, for a week, and then I'll be back. And then we're going to do a two part season review. We're going to split the season in two, um, and and do a sort of two parter, um, and that will mean that we can all sort of have our say. So, in some sense, about the season uh, as as a group. Um, so I don't want to labour this point too much because this is the sort of question that we're going to talk about there. But uh, James Deacon says, maybe a bit boring, but where was the season one turning points and purple patches, etc.? Um, I don't think that's a boring question at all, but uh, that may say more about me, James, than than anything. So don't <laughs> don't wear that as a badge. <laughs> um, and then uh, Jack Considine says, what's the most productive first 11 this season or is it statistically the best 11 provided there's... Um, or is statistically the best eleven provided there's no injuries. Um, I think the best way of answering this is I've I've been producing um, a five game rolling xG average with xG for and against throughout the season um, because we always talk about how um, single uh, match xG is not necessarily the greatest. Um, uh, uh, 
bellwether for what's actually happening in game so by making a five game rolling average you can sort of see over the course of five games how the team are doing um and yeah again i'll put this up on the on the patreon site later on but it really does reveal a picture um for two reasons one is it shows up the season quite well in terms of what happened i think um and you can trace you can trace the, the the lines and see sort of relatively what was going on um, so that that very much helps you to talk about turning points or purple patches, as James Deacon says. Um, and also, when uh, Jack Considine asks, "What's the the most productive first eleven this season?" Well, um, according to the, the the rolling XG average, we were the be- we were the best team that we've been this season, pretty much in in the first ten games where we were um, where we were, we were putting up around two point five XG every game. Um, and we were only conceding 0.5. Um, so I think, you know, when we started off the season in the way that we did, we, we I remember it really well, just looking back and being like, I can't see this team not walking the league because we were in such control. It was remarkable. And then Adam Forshaw got injured and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> Taking that line further down, you can see the bit, the blip. So you can see the, basically the, the plummeting of the, of the XG4 and the rising, the slow rise of the XG against around the time where um, we had that sort of nadir where we lost to, to Nottingham Forest. Um, and then you can see it then sort of pulling away again. And since then we've sort of roughly stayed um pretty much at arm's length from from all all the teams that we've played since then in terms of xg for and against um so guys yeah what what's your thoughts about one the the sort of the the timeline that this that this graph gives you but also um would you would you agree with my assessment that the first 10 matches was the strongest leeds team and um uh etc etc i think it's hard to disagree to be honest um when when you when the, some of those games didn't seem it at the time, because you know we drew with Forest, we drew with Derby, um, and, and and they seemed like really disappointing results at the time. But um, yeah, looking back, we really dominated when we when we had that lineup and during that period, and it was it was a it was a more in some ways I think fans weren't as excited by that team because it was more it it, it was a, and I don't really mean this as a a pejorative, but it was a bit more sterile, like we. We kept we we just controlled games so much that it, as a neutral, it might it might have even looked a bit boring, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, th- th- we we never allowed chances at that point, and it was yeah. It as you say, it, it did look like we were going to walk the league if we kept that lineup together. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Uh, from from a footballing point of view, um, from a pure footballing point of view, the first ten games were were absolutely remarkable. Um, I think mentally. The, the turning point and, 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 and the, the thing that really turned it for us was the five game winning streak just before lockdown. I think, I think once we got into that run, once we got into that groove, I, I felt pretty confident from that point on that, that we were, we were going to come home comfortably. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, been, been pretty, pretty good to see that played out. But yeah, it was, um, it was really kind of interesting. I, I think that. You know, I, th- I think we'd all kind of want to see Forshaw and Click and, and Phillips back together in the midfield, holding holding things together in the way that they did in the first ten games. I think I think the one caveat to that is that we don't know what what Forshaw is going to be like when he comes back. Whether he's going to have the same levels of mobility and and all that kind of thing. So it'd be interesting to see how how he develops uh, from this point onwards. Mm. 
We have had some questions about Stuart Dallas, which I think we've largely covered, but Sam Chapman said, what did you make of Dallas in what appeared to be a central position today, as we've talked about? Um, also, how magnific- magnificent has he been in general this season? I, mean, I think we've we've largely covered that. Uh, Jacob Stanbridge goes on to ask, how likely is it that Dallas starts as a left-back slash who knows where next season, and who do we sell? Uh, I think that's more of a general question about selling, so we'll, we'll talk about that maybe later on. But... Um, yeah, what what's the thinking about about Stuart Dallas as as a left back, or are we just sort of seeing him as an auxiliary player at this point? In the Premier League, I think he's a reserve fullback, and I think we need a specialist left back bringing in for 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 the summer. That might not be the most popular idea ever expressed, um, because he has had a really good season. But but I th- I think we we really do need. I think in the in the Premier League, the fullback position is so important that if we're talking about a pure fullback, I think we need a specialist who's got the attributes that that work really well in the Premier League, and a lot of that is to do with pace and mobility, but also a great left foot, which he hasn't got. I'd tend to agree, but uh, I'd add that it would probably be about fourth or fifth down on my list of signings that we need to make. So I guess it depends if we have the budget to you know push it that far. If not. I could just about see us getting by with some combination of Douglas, Alioski and Dallas. Yeah, that's kind of the weird thing about the whole left-back position for me is that we all sort of talk about it as though we don't have a good enough option there, but we have three potential players in that position. And I suppose that that's that's what makes me wonder whether or not we will bother getting an upgrade there because, I mean, in terms of... In terms of the three different players as well, they're all completely different players as well. So I suspect that the club will kind of think, well, we're covered in that area. Yeah, maybe we've not got a one player who could do the three things that those three players do. And I guess I would... But what a player that would be. Yeah, what a player would... <laughs> yeah we probably yeah. couldn't afford him, could we, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, if we could somehow genetically engineer that, that would be wonderful, but... Um, yeah, you know, I, I guess Dallas's tactical flexibility is what is like there. I think um, Douglas offers a lot in terms of uh, a sort of being being uh, obviously a good ball striker, um, but also sort of fairly good in build up play. Um, and then yeah. Alioski has that sort of pressing aspect to him and and ability to stretch teams and the and the running. Um, so I think that the club will probably not. We'll probably not think about buying a left back, which seems weird to me because it seemed as though at the beginning of the season we just had no answers to the question of what our best left back was going to be or or, or anything. And even with even with Douglas, I mean Douglas has been sort of in and out of the, the team, and it's really hard to know how Bielsa sort of considers him. Um, and I I consider him to be have to be our primary left back weirdly despite the fact that it doesn't really ever seem like that so it it is a really fascinating position and it will be interesting to see what happens in the course of the of the summer but this does bring us to the summer and we've had quite a few interesting questions about both the the premier league and the the pre-season johnny layton says any ideas about plans for pre-season opposition with true touring out of the question can we expect some warm-ups against premier league opponents um i really don't know i've been doing a bit of digging around and it seems as though the premier league want us to start at the end of august where the teams actually want us to start and i think it's september the 12th or the weekend of september the 12th um, which doesn't give us a huge amount of time. I think it's about seven weeks after the end of the Premier League. Um, so one, you know, already you're thinking, well, the players will have a couple of weeks off. So you're already talking about five weeks of pre-season in terms of like bringing in new players and stuff. And one of the things we talk about a lot with Bielsa is like needing a certain amount of time to work with players in order for it to 
um, to, to function um, for those players to get up to speed as soon as possible. So I'm actually quite interested in, in the pre-season approach that we take. Um, Tom, have you got any thoughts on, on the whole pre-season thing? Well, I, th- I think um, apart from the lack of time, I think Bielsa will be glad that we're not jetting off to the Far East stocks. He didn't seem very happy about going to Australia mm. um, last summer. But yeah, it's going to be odd, isn't it? Because we know that Bielsa likes that long pre-season to drill his players. So it might maybe that even if we sign new players, we won't see them until November, December time anyway, you know, in the, in the starting 11. So um yeah, uh, and and w- will we play any games at all? We didn't. We didn't during the break. Um, you know, in in the little mini preseason before resumption. So, could we try and get by? You know, or maybe play just one or two friendlies and see what happens. Because you know, if the players are only having two weeks off, you know, how much fitness can you really lose in that time? I don't know. You start to lose your physical conditioning after two weeks, exactly. So they'll be all right. They'll be all right. <laughs> They're also miles ahead of, of everyone, so <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. I, I suspect we'll do a very similar warm up uh, preseason period to what we usually do. To be honest, without the trip to Australia, I think it will be the same sorts of teams. It will be. Who's it? Was it York City that we always play? Yeah, it'll be Geisley yeah. as well. Geisley, Geisley yeah. in York. Yeah, uh, and then I guess they'll try and get maybe a Premier League opponent at some point as well. Uh, but it will be fascinating to see. Um, Back to Emilio Sanjueza, who says, what are some tactical additions or tweaks you'd like to see for the Premier League? Not every team we play is going to be a top six team. I think this is a really interesting question. It's something that I'm going to talk to Alex Stewart about later for our Patreon special episode. Um, any thoughts on this? What would you like to see us do differently in, in the Premier League, Darren? I'm interested to see what happens in games where we're pressed by by people with more ability because I think that obviously we really struggled against Barnsley with their with their very high press, um, but but luckily they didn't quite have the the quality or the composure to kind of punish us for it. So I will I will be really interested to see how how we kind of handle that and how whether we learn to play in a a slightly more pragmatic way and and I very much doubt we will I have to say but but whether we'll learn to play in a slightly more pragmatic way when we're placed under that kind of pressure. It's it's an interesting game you chose, Darren, because I think what's going to happen is that it will look like that Barnsley game, but will be Barnsley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, yeah, no, no, maybe seriously, yeah, because yeah. because you know they they were playing extremely high tempo, high pressing style, and I think um, against the likes of Liverpool and Man City, it, it'll in a, in a best case scenario, it'll look something like that, but with us winning. Yeah, you know that is a best case yeah, scenario, yeah, yeah. but I think I think yeah, it'll we'll we'll have obviously less possession and. It will be interesting. The, the games I'm most interested in, actually, are the games against people like Everton and um, uh, who else is in the mid-table of the Premier League? But you Everyone. Know, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, sort of the, the teams that aren't the teams that aren't at the very top and aren't at the very bottom. Because I think the teams at the very bottom might take a similar approach to how teams have played against us this season, where they sit back. But I'm interested in those teams that really think they can take us on yeah. um, and and try and play us, but but aren't a million miles better than us technically. They're they're the games I'm really looking forward to. Against teams like City and Liverpool, they can just break you down through moments. Yeah. Um, not, not, I mean, obviously they're obvious they're, they're tactically brilliant teams as well, but you know, I just kind of think it's, it's basically what happened against Arsenal, right? We played against Arsenal, played really well. And yeah, you know, maybe we could have scored, maybe if we didn't hit the bar, you know, all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, Arsenal came through 
got the goal. It wasn't particularly pretty, but they they sort of worked it. And that's what that's my worry about this season is that we're gonna go, we're gonna go into the league. We're gonna look gonna look quite good, um, but but it will be moments and 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 that will will mean that we we fall down in places um i do think that we 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 i do think we do need to tweak something because we're not going to be able to enjoy 60% possession 65% possession on average next season and i i guess my my wonder is like what do we look like as a sort of team who does seed possession a little bit and and then try and win the ball back and and break from there um and I'm I'm not entirely sure what it would look like. I th- I suspect, and I've talked to Jamie Kemp about this, um, but he he he's of the opinion that we should sort of maybe attempt to be like wing wing play a little bit more wing play and try and just break down quickly down the flanks and maybe be a little, little bit more solid in the central midfield area um, because we do give up a huge amount of space in that midfield area um, because we are a possession side. So you don't need to worry about defending the middle so much. So there's going to be little things where it's going to be fascinating to see how how we come out um and uh, 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 and and uh, of this um i'm pressed for time a little bit so let's let's just r- rush through the next two questions um kevin lynch says in the beautiful hypothetical situation where ben white stays and pablo is immortal are there any positions you deem essential to improve upon for an epl season darren i think we need a second striker um to to replace the the much missed and dearly beloved JKA. Um, I think we need a I think we need another goalkeeper to play uh, to either push Melier for the first team or to be an experienced backup. I still think we might need something in midfield as well. Even 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 if Pablo's immortal, my my first priority would still be a player in the Pablo mold because even even if Pablo lives forever, you still need someone else who can play like that. I think, and we he's the only one we've got in our entire squad who can make those decisive passes so I'd want someone else like that most of all. Daniel Moroni friend of the podcast says the recruitment strategy is said to be based around recruiting high potential championship players who are we likely to get is it a good strategy given you see very inflated values for a lot of championship players Um, my gut feeling on this is you know when we talk about when we talk about buying and selling players what's not what's most important is the team that are buying I think and the, you know the value of a player is based on that so if a team like Manchester United eg wants to buy a player that inflates their value it's it's got nothing to do with them necessarily being taken to the cleaners it's simply just the reality of the fact that that clubs know how much other clubs have to spend and 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 know that they've got more to spend um and the, the the price negotiations follow that sort of trajectory. So with Leeds this season now, with everyone knowing that Leeds have got a bit more money to spend because they're going to get a huge chunk of revenue from TV rights in the in the Premier League, that's just going to push up the value of players. So I would say yes, it's going to be there are going to be um, inflated values for Championship players for Leeds, um, but that's going to be much less than the inflated values for for Premier League players for Leeds. So it's 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 a relative thing. So um, yeah, Tom, Tom, Darren, who do you look at in the Championship and think that we're we're likely to get? I I wouldn't like to speculate, um, and which I know is quite probably quite boring of me, but but um, I I find it quite difficult to predict who Victor Arthur is going to look at and who he's going to sign, and I think that's been the way since since um, since he came into the club. I mean, there there are players you'd love to see at the club. Like, I'd love to see Ben Rama, for example, but I, I think that's quite unlikely to happen for a number of reasons. But yeah, I think it's just a case of wait and wait and see. Um, I'm not the sort of Leeds fan who goes around with a shopping list. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm the same. I'd, I'd rather I'd be happy to pick a name from a shortlist of who I'd most like to see. But I find the 
just looking at the entire pantheon of championship players and and trying to choose someone quite daunting to be honest so we we, we welched out on that one yeah. <laughs> well we will we will no doubt cover this more as well in in future episodes because we will be recording episodes through the silly season so no doubt we will will we'll jump on those sorts of rumors and, and go with them but I do think there's good value to be had in the championship I do think that the sorts of players that we actually need are available for much less than the players that we don't need that but that we want um, and we await that um, news um, excitedly I think it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting and exciting transfer season we have to pull this to a close, I'm afraid, but th- thank you both for, for coming on as always. Guys, if you enjoy what we do um, and don't follow us on, on Twitter, do hop along to um, All Stats Aren't We on Twitter and, and join us. Um, if you do have the time and the inclination, it would be great if you could drop us a, a rating or a review on iTunes. It just helps us get a little bit more exposure. And if you like our content and you want to get more of it, we do have, as I've mentioned a few times in this podcast, a Patreon channel where we put up bonus material um, um, we will put up all of the data viz from today's episode, for example, up on there, uh, and you can go and check that out. But we also have bonus episodes, one of which I'm about to record actually with Alex Stewart of Tifo Football, just talking about Marcelo Bielsa. Um, if you're interested in that, do head over to patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? and have a look at what we do over there uh, and maybe consider signing up if you are interested. Three people who have done that this week are Neil Foote, James Poulter and Owen Cannon. So thank you guys for doing that. And all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to Darren. Thank you very much. And thank you to Tom. Thank you. And we'll see you in the Premier League. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.